0: All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Why don't we go ahead and head back to your seats and we'll get started here. It's a little bit chilly today. hope you brought your jackets. Well, one thing, um, as I've been studying through this text and just as we've been going through 1 Corinthians as a whole, it's, it's kind of amazing how brutally honest the Word of God is. Um... It's really so different from what we see so often. There's a tendency in mankind to, to sugarcoat things. We want to make things look and seem better than they really are. And I don't if you guys remember back to when you were a little kid, a lot of those books that you read as you know, a little child growing up. Think of how many of those little books ended with something like this. And they got married and lived happily ever after. That's every princess and whatever. Um you see, none of those books had the guts to deal with the reality of marriage in a fallen world. But praise the Lord, we have a God that communicates with us, and he walks, us, walks with us through this fallen world all the way till the end. And we see that here this morning. So This morning, God gave this passage to you so that you would confidently and wholeheartedly live for Christ in whatever marriage status you are in confidently and wholeheartedly live for Christ in whatever marriage status you are in so there are three categories or marriage statuses you could say that are addressed in our text and if you remember that the context of first Corinthians um, it was a very interesting time very devious place it was uh, not a not a good family wholesome place to grow up. Um, we, we went over a lot of this in, in past weeks. Um, and really, there's a lot of, as as people were coming to Christ, they were hearing the gospel, they are getting saved. But they just came out of this cult, uh, chaotic and just sinful pagan lifestyle. So you have these believers that they get saved and they want to know how to live right. So they do something really wonderful, really simple. They ask. Imagine that. They actually ask for help. Um, so today we're going to look at that. They're going to look at some of these answers that Paul gives to to some of these questions that they had. So first, again, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 8 through 16 today, and we'll see how you can live for Christ in whatever marriage status you are in. So the first category are those who have been divorced or widowed. So first, if you are divorced or widowed, it is good to remain unmarried. That's verses 8 and 9. Let me read that to you. It says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So right away, I need to show you that the word here for unmarried does mean, in fact, divorce. This is a unique word. That word for, for unmarried... It's only shows up a couple times in the Bible, and they're, all of them are right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So this will help us understand what that word means. So this is we don't have to look all over the Bible. We don't have to do a lot of searching. We can stay right here. So first of all, unmarried is not the same as widowed. We can see that right in verse 8. There's a distinction. He's writing... To the unmarried and to widows. So there's a distinction. Although widows are, yes, unmarried, that's not what the term means because there's a distinction. So unmarried is not the same as widowed. Unmarried is not the same as virgins. If you jump down all the way to verse 34, you have a similar situation where he mentions, this is in verse 34, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned... Et cetera et etc. So again there's a distinction. the unmarried, although virgins are yes unmarried, there's a distinction. So uh, these unmarried are not virgins. The clearest place we have here is in actually verses 10 and 11. so we're going to jump down to 10 and 11 for a minute and we're going to spend a few few minutes here even though it, we're kind of jumping out of out of sequence. Um, we have to understand these terms. It's critical that we understand what these words mean because this is going to shape how we apply these these verses. So again, unmarried is not the same as widowed, unmarried is not the same as virgins, but unmarried is a term for what we call divorce. It's, it's the word for divorce. Let me read verse 10 to you, it says, but, I, but to the married I give instruction, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband, verse 11, But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife, so you have this idea of leaving, this uh, divorce. Those are the ones that need to remain unmarried. So, unmarried means divorced. So, it's clear from this text that unmarried is not just some general term for for anyone who's not married, but specifically relates to those who were previously married and then divorced. And again, while we're here in verse ten, I, w- I want to show you that the word here, leave, does in fact mean divorce. Um, it's, it's he uses word he uses leave and then divorce towards the end of verse 11, but it's the same thing. And not only is it the same thing here; it's it's actually throughout the whole scripture. If you turn to Matthew 19, and I'm gonna tell you now, if you have a bookmark or something you want, I'm gonna stick it in Matthew 19 because we're gonna bounce back and forth a little bit. But in Matthew 19, in verse 3, the Pharisees are asking Jesus a question about divorce. And Jesus answers that question about divorce in verse 6. He quotes Genesis, so he goes back to the very beginning, and then he says, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So divorce is the act of separating a married couple. So this word separate is the exact same word translated in 1 Corinthians as leave. They just decided to translate it leave. We understand that it means pretty much the same thing. But we need to know that that word leave is really the word separate which is the word for divorce that was the word that they used not only in jesus's time you know slightly before paul but all the way back to to genesis that was what divorce meant to separate and it's also important to understand that the word separate has nothing to do to do with the way we we use it a lot in uh, modern day times a lot of times nowadays you'll hear you know Married couples, they're having a rough patch, so they separate for a little while. Um, that's not at all what this word here means. To separate means to divorce. When, it, when we're using it biblically in this context, um, this modern idea of, of separating a man and a husband, cooling off for a while or trying to find themselves or whatever it may be, that's that's not biblical. That's not good at all. And actually, the, what we read last week, verses 3 to 5, or went through last week, talks about that specifically. It's not good for a man and wife to separate. Um, You're to stay together and work it out. Lastly, these words separate, or leave, or send away, divorce, they're all used interchangeably. And and we'll see that, again, once we get down to verses 12 and 13, a little bit later. But again, this this word leave means to separate, and separate means to divorce. And again, there's a whole lot more to look at in terms of divorce, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But it's just critical that we understand what those words mean because again if we under, if we don't get those definitions right we're not going to be able to apply the the text right so if you're not there already turn back to 1 Corinthians 7 and let's look at verse 8 very simply it just says don't rush back into marriage if you are widowed or divorced don't rush back into marriage again in context Paul was speaking to people who had been divorced or widowed and then they came to saving faith in Christ and they wanted to know what to do. What do I do in this situation? And unfortunately, many many church folks even, they they push marriage on everybody else just because that's what God had intended for them. That was their situation. But that's not always what's best. In verse 7, God gifts certain individuals to celibacy. Again, we spent a lot of time on that last week. So it is actually it is good for unmarried and widowed fo- folks to remain that way. And the church needs to be careful to recognize the goodness and beauty of celibacy for Christ's sake. We can't just assume because, well, I'm married, so that's the way it should be for everybody. So practically speaking, how do you know that celibacy is good for you? If you're in this situation, You're you're either married or divorced— you want to honor Christ in your, in your situation. How do you know that celibacy is good for you? Well, first of all, just pray. Right? Ask God if he wants you to remain celibate. And for some of you, you may not be just you that you have to consider. It's maybe you're, you're, you have children. There's children in the picture. How does that affect your situation? Well, here's some basic realities to think and pray through. This is what you've got to deal with. First, for those that were divorced or widowed without children... Here's how to think about it you have a larger capacity to serve Christ and His church. Paul addresses that very specifically towards the end of the chapter. But the bottom line is you, your time, your energy, your finances can all be much more singularly focused on serving Christ and His kingdom. That's a unique blessing that someone who is unmarried has. Now, what about those who do have children and you know, you got maybe little kids, you got, you got to take care of these little guys. Is it good to remain unmarried? Amazingly, yes, it can be. It can be very good. Although you may have less time and energy and money at your disposal, in your service to Christ and his church, that is exactly where you're going to have your needs met. I can think of several children that have been brought up by single parents in the church. And they've grown into extremely godly and successful individuals. It's beautiful, really. But the bottom line here is, in any circumstance, in either of these situations, you can fully trust God to give you the grace to either remain celibate, be completely dedicated to his kingdom, or to go ahead and get married. And he's going to talk about that next. What if it, for those who had, it would be better to marry again. So that's verse 9. It says, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Right off the bat, i got to say, this is not a verse that gives credibility to marrying just because you can't control your sexual desires. That is not a reason to marry. That is a reason to get help. That is a serious problem. What this verse does mean is that if you have a strong desire to be sexually fulfilled in a Christ-honoring marriage, then it actually is better for you to get married. See, what you need to understand is Paul is speaking very plainly and honestly. So when he uses the language of burning with passion, a lot of times we, you know, because of our backgrounds, maybe whatever it may be, we have this idea in our minds that that's automatically something evil, something dirty. But that's not the case. He's just being very real with the desire for sex that God has put in mankind. It is, in fact, a very strong desire, and this strong desire is not a bad thing. It's actually part of a happy and healthy marriage, as we saw last week in verses 3 to 5. It only becomes sin when it is desired and fulfilled outside of the marriage context. So again, this burning, this burning actually works for you in marriage, but it works against you in serving the Lord wholeheartedly. If you are consumed by this, if you're always trying to preoccupy with trying to push down this passion, push down this burning, you can't serve Christ wholeheartedly. It's going to work against you. And it's also going to give you many occasions to sin. You don't want to be put in that position. You don't want to put yourself in that position. So for those individuals, they're not in sin, but it would be better for them to marry. It would be more beneficial for you, and it would be more beneficial for the church. So if you're in that situation, work towards that end. Again, it's not simply just sexual fulfillment. It's love and commitment And picturing Christ and his bride to the watching world. So, real briefly, if you are in this situation, a new believer who's been divorced or widowed, and you know you don't have the gift to remain as you are, and, and you want to get married, what do you look for in a Christian spouse? Just again, this is very brief, but these are very fundamental. Is he or she committed to Christ in a responsible lifestyle? Again, when I say responsible lifestyle, it has to be demonstrated. The commitment to Christ needs to be demonstrated, needs to be observable. You ask yourself, is he or she committed to others in a responsible lifestyle? How do they treat other people? What is their relationship with their family, with their church, with their friends, with their neighbors? Also, is there a mutual attraction? Attraction is a good thing, both physical and emotional. There should be an attraction. Most importantly, are you committed to Christ and others in a responsible lifestyle? And all this searching for that perfect mate that honestly doesn't exist, it's more important that you work on yourself. Are you that person that is fully committed to Christ and can display that? It's it's more about you than the other person. So again let me repeat don't just rush back into marriage take time to, to actually work out think through it pray through it what is best for my situation everybody's different everybody's unique and the beautiful thing here is it's christ's grace is sufficient for you in either situation If you're to remain celibate he will give you the grace to do that if you're to get married he will give you the grace you need grace to be married believe it or not he will give you that grace All right, so next, the the next category is regarding those who both, the husband and wife, are believers. So second, if you are married believers, don't get divorced. Pretty simple and straightforward. This category is, is, again, simple, straightforward. So Paul just affirms and instructs on the authoritative instruction from Christ's own teaching in the Gospels regarding marriage and divorce between two believers. Again, this is verses 10 through 11. Let me read that to you. It says, But to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. So, again, we've already looked at that text and defined those terms. So, this should be pretty straightforward. Jesus already dealt with this, that's what Paul is saying. Um, not I, but the Lord. He's saying this is not something that Paul came up with. Um, this is clear teaching that they have records of. Jesus' teaching on marriage was spread by word of mouth. It was spread in writing. So they they had Jesus' clear teachings. We have that even today in our own Bibles. So why don't we go ahead and turn there. Let's turn back to, to Matthew chapter 19. That's not the only place he discusses this, but it's it's a good good chunk to look at. So Jesus already dealt with this issue, and he was teaching. And when we get to Matthew chapter 19, he makes it very clear. that This whole concept of divorce came from the fallen, sinful heart of man. It was true back in the day of Moses. If you look at verse 8 of Matthew chapter 19, he says, He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it has not been this way. So it was true back in Moses' time. It was true back in Jesus' time. In verse 3, what spurred this whole debate on, says so some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And what's interesting, that's how the Pharisees viewed divorce. Hey, man, Moses permitted it so that we can get divorced for any reason at all. That's pretty sick and twisted. But Christ makes it clear. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So leaving and cleaving... That's God's righteous plan for marriage. It's a covenant in and of itself. It's, an, it's not made to be broken. It's a relationship that is designed to be like no other. So how do you think God feels about divorce? Well, you don't have to guess. He tells us. Malachi chapter 2 says very simply, for I hate divorce, says the Lord. God hates divorce. And specifically, when we're looking at our context, these are two believers that we're dealing with right now. Divorce stands diametrically opposed to the love of God and the grace of Christ that has been poured out on his saints. Do you see how that just doesn't fit? God hates divorce. How could his children intend to do that? So we see that divorce was never the original intent. But as we know, we live in a fallen world and divorce is a reality that we have to deal with. In fact, Jesus, dealing with the Pharisees in this context, he he does give an exception. In verse 9, he says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery so there is that exception and it's immorality it's another word for adultery there is a legitimate reason there to divorce but again that's the context of matthew chapter 19 that's not the context we're dealing with today so go ahead and turn back to first corinthians 7 we look at verses 10 through 12. So, again, these married believers in Corinth, they weren't looking to get divorced because of some sin or or fault in their spouse, necessarily. So why were they thinking about leaving? Well, there are several possibilities as, as to why they were considering divorce. It could be that some of them, you know, they were married before they got saved, and then they get saved, and now they're wondering, you know, maybe... Did anything change? Is this new life in Christ? Is this old marriage still valid? Does, does God hold that as, as, as a legitimate marriage? So it could be that. It could be that they were just simply bringing some of their old ways of living back into into the, their Christian life. That that happens, unfortunately. This, again, was a culture that was just steeped in sexual immorality, divorce, remarriage, over and over and over again. It could have been simply just sin. hey, I'm getting tired of my spouse and I want something new. That that could be the case. So these are some possibilities, but what seems to really fit the context is ultimately a, a false understanding of sex. And that was the original question Paul was answering in verse 1. That's why I had, I had verse 1 read this early this morning. Um, Paul's actually answering their question. They, they think, is it good for a man to not touch a wife than to not have sex with, with a woman? So I think, you know, so to us, that may seem like a, a strange idea. That may seem, you know, odd. Why would someone think that way? But the reality is many of these people grew up in such a perverted society where just the sex was just, again, it was perverted. It was twisted. It was just not a wholesome upbringing. It was abuse, pornography, constant cheap sex with prostitutes, that, that was the Corinthian culture. That was what they did. So you can see now, somebody gets saved, and that, if that's their picture, of, of that's their idea of sex, it's hard for them to now look at sex as a good thing. Never mind, sex is actually a holy thing, something that pleases the Lord when, when done in marriage, the way he describes. So you, you can kind of understand that. And you know, We have people today that have just been so, whether it's use, abuse, or just, so steeped in their sexual sin, even after they get saved, they have a hard concept, a hard time just understanding an idea of of good enjoyment in sex that's actually pleasing to the Lord. So they had a difficult time seeing sex as good, and Paul strains that out. That's that's some of the context that we looked at last week. All I have to say, here we are in this text, and these two believers, no matter what the difficulties are, don't get divorced. The Lord hates divorce. It's it's not going to make you more holy. It is sin. It's very clear. Divorce is sin. Now, what if you have done this? What if you, it's already been done? If you are a believer, you have divorced a spouse for an illegitimate reason, you have two options. Your first option is to remain divorced. God views that marriage union as binding no matter what the legal documents say you, may, you might have gone through the legal process the, the, the state or country might identify you as divorced it's done, you've got the paperwork that's not how God sees it if two believers have been divorced God sees that as binding, That that, that marriage is binding so what does that look like? practically speaking Means you or your spouse, your former spouse, can't go looking for another spouse. That's that's verse 11. You can't leave them. Just go get remarried. I'm done with this one. This is the idea that they had. Just you're done with this one. You move on to the next one. You can't do that. You are still married in God's eyes. Second, you're putting yourself and your former spouse in danger of immorality. That's again what we looked at last week, verses three through five. Sex is to be enjoyed regularly in marriage. You break that off, you're putting yourself and your spouse, your former spouse, in danger. One final thought to consider as a believer. You know deep down in your heart that you have the ability in Christ to reconcile. You don't want to live like that. You don't want to be living and knowing you're in sin, knowing that Christ has all the resources for you to reconcile, and you're still going to be stubborn. You're still going to separate. You're still going to go your own way. So that's what it looks like. That's not a place you want to be. But there is a second option. Return back to your spouse. Again, this is this presumes the other spouse didn't get married, and that's why in this context, if one Spouse, even if it is, I don't know if there's ever been a case where it's been one spouse's fault completely, but even if that was the case, the other spouse needs to remain single. They can't go look for um, another spouse, and this is why, because reconciliation. God expects that married couple, or divorced couple now, as believers, to reconcile. True believers have all the resources in Christ to reconcile. Yes, you do. Don't let the world tell you you can't. Just be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. It's Ephesians 4:32. But do you get that every time you sin? You offend an infinitely holy God. Therefore, each sin has earned an infinite amount of wrath. This infinitely holy God forgives your infinitely damning sin in Christ. Just as God in Christ also forgives you. Saints, that's your power, and that's your resource to forgive. Christ can give you the power to humble yourself and return. And Christ can give your spouse the power to forgive you. There's going to be, no doubt, forgiveness on both sides. No doubt, it, there's going to be humility on both sides. So, brothers and sisters, if that's your situation, if you're in that case, be reconciled for Christ's glory and your good. Your spouse is good. Again, Christ has the resources for you. Don't let the world tell you you're better off without it. So for those of you that maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you need to know that there is a way to be forgiven of your sins. You see, that same infinitely holy God created you to be infinitely good, infinitely right, and by his standards, not yours. But instead we all one way or another we, we do what we think. We we do what we think is gonna benefit us the most, we do what we think is gonna make us feel the best. And basically we're worshiping by ourselves rather than God. So you haven't honored God the way you should, and, and none of us have. We all fall short, we all sin. But it's only right and just that you receive the due penalty of your sin. And that is separation from God forever in hell but God sent his son Christ Jesus into the world to live the life that you couldn't live a life perfectly pleasing to the father and then this Jesus was falsely accused and put to death for sins he didn't commit and all this was done so that those who put their faith in Christ as their only hope as their only savior would in fact be saved See, through faith in Christ, your sins, all of them, every single one of them, is placed on Christ. And they're done away with forever. That's what the cross is. Christ did away with all sin, all your sin, forever. It's dead, it's buried, it's gone. But only that, at the same time, Christ's righteous life is credited to your account. So your sin is placed on his shoulders. He bears the wrath of God. He takes it up every single last drop. is covered in his, through his death. And then his righteous life is now applied to you through faith. And so when God looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son, Jesus. You're completely forgiven. You're completely justified. There is no more documents stating that you're a sinner. They're all white clean. There is forgiveness in Christ. So please now, listen, I mean now is the time. There is more grace for you than you know. There's more grace than you can even imagine. Maybe you have messed up. Maybe you've done everything wrong. There is grace and forgiveness to all who call upon the name of the Lord. And so for those that you have received that grace, you know, you should be the first one to extend that grace. It's your new nature. So again, back in this, this situation, two believers have what it takes to reconcile. No matter how ugly the, the marriage was, no matter how ugly the divorce was, you need to reconcile. Because Christ will give you the grace to do it. He will give your spouse the grace to do it. This is what you must do. You must be reconciled. You can't live that life knowing that you're in sin, knowing that you have everything you need to reconcile, and you're just not going to do it. Christ's grace is sufficient for you. So lastly, our third and final category if you are a believer, marry to an unbeliever. Seek peace. Let me read verses 12 through 16. It says, But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So again, Paul begins this portion by by making a distinction. It's an important distinction. So here's instructing on a category of marriage that Jesus didn't specifically teach on during his earthly ministry. Unlike the last verses, we could look at Matthew 19. We could look at other texts. Christ clearly dealt with that, but here it's it's different. He's talking about someone who's a believer, and, and you know most likely in. In reality, it was probably they were maybe believe uh, married before, and then throughout time, one of them came to faith in Christ, and so now they're they're at odds. They don't know what to do again. They're in this situation where I'm a believer, my my spouse is not. How do I do? How do I do this? But let me back up and just uh, just I want this to be clear. When when Paul says. Back in the beginning, to the rest I say, not the Lord. It, it is very critical that we understand this is the Word of God, okay? So it was revealed to Paul from Christ, and then Paul carries that to us today. And th- this Word has Christ's full authority. We, we can't separate and say, well, this is maybe just Paul's opinion or Paul's ideas. Um, everything that Paul heard, just because Christ didn't specifically teach on this. That's why he's saying, I say it, because Christ literally told Paul, and Paul is now telling the Corinthians and us today. And if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, he says it very clearly. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. Okay, so this is the Lord's commandment given through Paul, full authority of christ full authority of the, the apostle paul and it's fully authoritative on you it's binding on on me and you okay so there's there's no question whether or not this is some little side note that paul's throwing out this is the very word of god it's the lord's commandment so here he answers the question what do you do if you get saved but you know your spouse doesn't and that that happens quite a bit that, that's that's, that's difficult. That That's a hard situation to be in. So what do you do? Well, first you got to recognize that marriage, that your marriage, is valid in God's eyes. The text says that if the unbelieving spouse is committed to the relationship, then don't divorce or send them away. See, the, the word there is divorce. It's a, the, the term, again, whether you say send away or leave, it's the, the, the term for divorce. And so if... God didn't recognize that marriage, he wouldn't say don't get divorced. All right? So God recognizes that marriage. It's, it's a valid marriage in God's eyes. But also to say it another way, maybe say it negatively, divorce is prohibited just on the basis that your spouse is an unbeliever. Okay, so having an unbelieving spouse does not give you the authority to now I can divorce. Now, I do need to say here, if there is physical abuse in the house, you need to leave the household. You need help, and you can come talk to the elders, Um, you know, depending on the severity of the situation. um, You may need to get authorities involved. If there is physical abuse, you need to get out of the house. That's not what we're talking about here. the elders. Now we we still work towards reconciliation, but we understand there's going to be a lot of work. And it's going to be hard, and we're not gonna. We don't want you to go back into that household if, if it's unsafe. If you're, if there's any kind of physical abuse, you need to get out and stay out. and And we will work with you through that whole situation. It's it's very difficult, and it's going to take time. But understand, we want you to be in a safe environment. This is not saying you cannot leave the house under no circumstances. Okay, this is talking about divorce. All right, so marriage is vowed in God's eyes. And second, recognize that you as a believer and even your children are not spiritually defiled because your spouse isn't saved. That's is verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. So what that is, is it's actually Christ extending his grace to his people, even to the extent that a household of a single believer will be uniquely blessed. There's a setting apart of the people of that household. And when it talks about being holy, this isn't talking about salvation, this isn't talking about a spiritual inward reality. And doesn't mean they're all going to get saved either. But what it does mean is your spouse and your children will experience some of the life of Christ right in their very own homes. And this should greatly encourage you to pray for them and share the gospel with them and love them selflessly. And let's face it, you, you, if you're married to an unbeliever, you, you need as much encouragement as you can get. So Christ is making it clear you're not going to be defiled you know, you think back to First Corinthians 5, you know, the, the, when it talks about sin in the church, yes, you send them away. Get that sin out of here. That, that sin's going to, like, that leaven, it's going to spread. Christ is saying, no, your household is set apart. I'm going to work in such a way that you and your children, even your spouse, is going to be uniquely blessed with the grace of Christ. That doesn't mean salvation necessarily. That doesn't mean everything's going to be just a bed of roses. That does mean that you're not going to be defiled, your kids are not going to be defiled uh, because of an unbelieving spouse. We know this text, you know, coming from a previous going into marriage, When in Second Corinthians 6, 14, and fifteen it says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever so we know we, we're not looking to go into a relationship with an unbeliever but people you will you will find people that find themselves in these situations and, and maybe that's someone here today they they got saved after they're already married or maybe in fact they did do something very foolish and married an unbeliever now what do we do how, do, how do we how do we how do I honor Christ in this situation that I'm in No matter how you got there, if if, if one way or another you're in that situation, again, there is grace for you. And that grace will bless your whole unbelieving household. There can be peace even in the midst of an unbelieving household. You're gonna have to work for it, but you can experience it. So if that unbelieving spouse wants to stay You let them stay. It's a good thing. You're not going to be defiled because of it. And they're actually going to be blessed by it. And we do have high hopes of them getting saved. You get to live that out right in front of their eyes. But on the other hand, what if that unbelieving spouse wants a divorce? Verse 15 says, "Yet If the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So once again, seek peace. If that unbeliever wants to leave or wants to stay, God will give you peace in that situation. He will bless you and your household. If that unbelieving spouse wants to leave, let them leave. So you have to understand this situation, you know, you might be married, you come to Christ, you want so desperately for your spouse to get saved. Undoubtedly, that would be your heart. But you got to understand, you can't fight that person into salvation. And the more you, you know, even if it's from a heart of love, the more you bug them, nag them, smack them over the head with the Bible, that's not going to get them saved. God has called you to peace. What's interesting here is this is the second, and it's a distinct exception for divorce. The first is adultery, as we saw in Matthew. And now here in the context, again, this is a different context of an unbelieving spouse abandoning their believing spouse. So Paul, under the full authority of Christ, says, if all else fails and they still want a divorce... Let them leave. He says you are free from that marriage union. This is distinct from the context before. We we're talking about two believers. You are free to remarry, even. Since the unbelieving spouse has broken the bonds of marriage, you are free from those bonds as well. So you're free and you can have peace. You know, maybe it was ugly. Maybe the peace is just as simple as you know. Now they're gone. The fighting is gone. Maybe it wasn't that bad. They just wanted to leave, and and you're heartbroken that you know you're not gonna have that more opportunities to witness to them. You're not gonna have those opportunities to see them come to Christ. But there's still peace, because you can trust God. He can go after that unbelieving spouse you don't know it's not up to you to to get them saved you don't know what's going to turn out how they're going to turn out but you do know that God is going to give you peace whether they stay whether they leave you can be at rest and trust God to deal with your ex it's really amazing here You look at these different categories, right? There is grace for everyone. No matter what your marriage status is, there is grace for you. No matter how bad you've messed up, there is grace for you. There is an abundance of grace for you to live confidently and wholeheartedly for Christ. And let us be a church that dispenses that same grace. You know, there may be some of you this morning that you don't really fit into these contexts. Maybe you've been married for quite some time, and by the grace of God, both you and your spouse are committed to a, a really good, healthy, loving relationship. And praise the Lord, I'm happy for you. But how do you view others that are in some of these categories? How do you view others when their lives aren't as pretty as yours? could be something as simple as you know maybe a visitor walks in a middle-aged guy or gal you get to know him a little bit and you find out they're not married you know it's the first thing you think of oh what's wrong with him why isn't he married he should be married and have 10 kids by now you know that unmarried person might be what god has intended to bless the church tremendously because he or she can devote himself more wholly to the church than you can do you, do you have these this idea of the different tiers of Christianity in your mind? Or what about someone who has been divorced? Do you look down your nose at them? Or are you going to take the time to get to know them, to understand the situation? Maybe it was a le- legitimate divorce. Maybe it wasn't. Either way, they need someone to dispense this grace that we know and love so well. They need someone to walk with them through the situation. How do I, alright, here's, you, here's your situation that you're in. How do we go from here? How do we move on? How can you still live a Christ-centered life? So whether it's divorced person or just someone that's different from you, they, we, we can't start looking at other people and having these first tier of Christians, they're, they're perfectly married, all their kids are well behaved, everything looks good, then you have these other categories and That's not how it works at all. Saints, there are no second-rate Christians, and your marriage status does not equate to a holiness factor. Only the blood of Christ can do that. Now, we understand the high calling of marriage, and indeed Indeed, we, we, we fight for it, especially in these times. we we got to fight for marriage. But your marriage here on earth is not the ultimate goal. Your marriage to Christ is. So let that be what drives you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We understand in this world, it gets messy. Sin has made a mess, and we we live in this mess. But God, you give us clear instruction. You, You care for us. You walk us through how do we live this out? How do we work this out? God, your grace is sufficient. It is sufficient to save. It is sufficient to sanctify. God, would your grace be dispensed in and through this church. Would we be a church that loves and accepts everybody? We're not accepting their lifestyles. We're not accepting the sin that they've done. We actually want to help them walk through it, work it out, and be reconciled. We want to help them maybe come to Christ if they don't know Christ. God, would you use us? Would you use this church? Would you use your word? Would you not let us come up with different ideas of how we think marriage should work. We don't have that authority. You're, you're, you have all that authority in your word and you've told us how to live this out. God, use this for your glory, Lord. Let your people experience your grace, full and free. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.